All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or listen via RT.ie. Also, you can watch the podcast on YouTube and get the latest episodes straight away by subscribing for free to the RT Sport YouTube channel. We'll also have timestamps available for every episode every week under the video player. So if you're listening on audio and you kind of want to know uh, what topics are coming up, you can uh, you can head to the description box there and uh, find out what minute and uh, what time everything um, different topics are being discussed. But we've plenty to talk about uh, with the women's internationals resuming with the next set of Nations League fixtures and a weather affected schedule of the League of Ireland games. Plus, we'll have live coverage of Manchester United's group stage match against Copenhagen tonight as well. So, to discuss all that, I'm joined by former Ireland international Keith Tracy and RT Sport Online's Conor Neville to run through all that and more. But first, what we're going to go back to is something that Stephen Kenny said in passing during his uh, post-match interview with Tony O'Donoghue last week after the Gibraltar game. And it's in regards to wingers. Uh, He was talking about Mikey Johnston, who had a really good game against Gibraltar, and he slipped in something about uh, a player potentially coming on board. And... It appears from what Dan McDonald has reported in the Irish Independent last week that that player in question is Casey McAteer, the Leicester City winger. So, uh, Connor, obviously last week uh, we played out the full Stephen Kenny interview, but I'm just going to play a snippet here where he's talking about Mikey Johnston and wingers. Yeah, um, you know, I do. I love wingers. Absolutely. You know, adore wing play. Just <laughs> so it's been... Uh, to get him, that's his first start, of course. To get him, uh, he needs to play matches. He's too good not to be playing football, and uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's great that he uh, he did well himself and Jadozi. So now all of a sudden it looks like we have wingers who can who can who can make an impact if if Mikey can get get game time, and uh, obviously uh, Mark Sykes coming on as well and in in that position, and and we have one one more coming on on stream. So. Um, we just need better options in those areas and they're, they're helping provide it. All right, so that is Stephen Kenny speaking after the Gibraltar game. So, of course, he was talking about Mikey Johnston there and uh, yeah. Benny and then one other player uh, coming on stream and that appears to be Leicester City's Casey McAteer, um, Connor. And the timing is kind of interesting because uh, just as the wingers that uh, Stephen Kenny has kind of dreamed of are, are coming onto the scene, it's coming towards the end of his contract and a huge amount of uncertainty whether that's going to be renewed or not. Well, yeah, I mean, we well, we have to see fully how good, I mean, Casey McIntyre is very early in his career. He's made a, he obviously has one Premier League start, I think a couple of seasons ago, and then was sort of farmed out and has burst onto the scene this year in Leicester doing very well at the top of the league. I don't know about the wingers he's dreamed of now. You might be framing it a bit too. Uh, you might be some making him sound too unlucky there. I know Mikey Johnston has has burst through this year and played quite well in the qualifiers. I mean, particularly against um, well in the friendly against Latvia, he was very good when he came on, and it was looking a bit dicey at home to Gibraltar. I recall uh, before he came on, and suddenly things started to happen in the final third. Yeah, he does set a lot of store by wing play. I know that was a common theme throughout his. His uh, uh, time with Dundalk, Daryl Horgan was a ma- uh, was a major figure there, um, and Albene has really developed as a player and become possibly maybe close to the best player of Kenny's tenure for for Ireland. So yeah, he said a lot of store by that. I mean, and, and it it's it's vital because we um, it's very hard for us to work through the middle because we don't really have those penetrating 
midfield players who can carve teams open that way. So we it has to be done out wide. Um, yeah, hopefully this this McIntyre like we we'll see when he comes on stream. We we you're saying we you don't think he'll be ready for the Netherlands game? No. So I was watching Blackburn playing Leicester uh, just before the international break, and I was ostensibly watching Andrew Moore and and Sammy Smodix more so, but Casey McIntyre. You're real. You're a full time scout. Are you double? Are you nominated <laughs> as a scout for the national? Team? No, unfortunately not. I made a point of watching it because. Again, hadn't seen much or more in at Blackburn, so I wanted to kind of check him out, kind of live, yeah. and also Smodix as well because he's doing well. But uh, yeah, Ma- or Casey McAteer played the first sort of fifteen minutes, uh, played quite well um, for Leicester, yeah. who were of course going well. But then he uh, he damaged his hamstring, uh, had to go off early, um, whilst making a run. So uh, he's going to be out for four to six weeks, and that will probably uh, rule him out uh, for the moment. But also, he's only in the process of uh, committing to Ireland anyway, so it's not a, not a case yeah. that he's... Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting that Kenny is talking in this purposeful fashion about getting new wingers when everyone, a lot of the consensus has, the consensus has decided that he's kind of, we're in the dying embers of his reign. I mean, he's he seems to be determined to act as if that is not happening. You know, I don't know if there's some denial happening here or if there's a play going on but maybe he still feels he can if he can get in a room with the FAI he can convince them we all know he's 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 these passionate homilies and he's able to uh he seems to be able to bring people along with him um but uh yeah I don't I don't know what we'll see how that'll play out yeah, and Keith, in regards to Casey McAteer himself and what he brings to the table, um, okay, so he's 21 and uh, five goals in nine appearances uh, between the Carabao Cup and, and the Championship as well. And he's somebody who's clearly benefited from the fact that Leicester got relegated because you would imagine if they'd stayed in the Premier League, he wouldn't have had a, a shot, a real shot at the first team. So have you seen much of him and what would he bring to the table if he, if, if, if and when he does uh, commit uh, to the Ireland cause? Yeah, I've seen little bits of him, Raf. Um, he seems a very, very decent young player. Um, is he the answer to Ireland's problems in a ward? No, but I don't think anybody is. I think he could drop Lionel Messi into that Irish team and it's not going to fill the fill the problems that we need to be filled. And I, I don't buy into Stephen Kenny saying, you know, I finally have the wingers I've wanted. For 90% of his tenure, he's played five at the back and he's played a 4-3-3, which doesn't, doesn't allow wingers to be on the pitch. So, it's a little bit contradictory what you're saying and to say that Casey McAteer coming in and all of a sudden we're going to play with two wingers or three wingers up the pitch and we're going to be this brilliant attack. And, you know, we have Callum Robinson, we have Obafemi. Ogbeni's been one of the shining lights, so you'd imagine Ogbeni's a definite starter on the wing. Evan Ferguson's going to start up front. It's only one white belt left and if that's going to be Casey McAteer, then, you know, I think that the bar's fairly low to get into this Irish team and there'll be people like Mikey Johnson who played well for Ireland but's not playing for his club we'd be thinking I deserve to be in there and Obafemi would be thinking well I've been around the scene a long time although I'm not really playing at Bundy I've been in and out of camps maybe I'm higher up the ladder than a, than a McAteer as well so I'm not too sure I think it's another decent player coming into the squad it's hard to get too overexcited about it he's decent he looks very good he's only just in the, in the process of declaring for Ireland so you know I the first thing that you want when somebody who is not born in Ireland, is going to play for Ireland. You want to see the want, you want to see the will, you want to see the desire, you want to see passion. Once we see all them teams from Casey McAteer, talent will be should be absolutely fine. But I'm not buying into Stephen Kenny getting the wingers and now all of a sudden everything's going to be okay because we've had wingers, we have wingers, we just haven't used them. And 
Look, I don't want to get into a, the whole Irish debate because I, I feel like it's been flogged to death now with under Stephen Kenny's uh, under Stephen Kenny's reign. But you're playing five at the back. You can't play with wingers. And now are we going to change formation and play play four four two? Are we going to play what formation are we going to play next? Because the one thing for me is trying to play these formations going toe toe with, with countries that are in and around us or even better than us. It just hasn't worked. We need to develop a style of play that might not be very pretty but we can win games of football and I would rather hold punches in groups and just be sticking around and have half a chance of maybe going and beating the Dutch next month. And, you know, imagine if we were still in the group now, Raf. It might not be pretty. And look, the, the one thing that, that's very evident at the forefront of my mind is Euro 2028. We're hosting that. How flat would it be if we're not in that tournament? And I think they've already said that all five of us aren't going to qualify. And I think the English have come out and said that they want to qualify. So, whether we all get thrown in the same in the same bucket and we all have to qualify. Are we, does anybody really believe we're going to qualify playing football, sexy football now, and this progressive style of play? I don't think so. I think we need to cut our claw to get to Euro 2028 and go from there. Yeah, and just on the, the final point on uh, Casey McAteer, if and uh, when he does uh, commit to Ireland, Connor, and uh, it's just the name McAteer, obviously the last competitive game we have is against the Dutch. And I was talking to Bart Fliestra, the Dutch football journalist, back in uh, September ahead of the ahead of the Aviva game. And I think he said that uh, the name McAteer still runs shivers down the spines of uh, every Dutch person. So it's just a pity this wasn't like, this wasn't happening a couple of months earlier because uh, if... He's saying that if we- we, if we just get this guy signed up and on the bench, they'll be incapacitated with fear. That would be the hope. That would be the hope. Um, not, not that it matters much in, for no. our at this stage. And, um, and you're telling me that our chances of losing to them and progressing are gone as well. So it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a redundant game. Yeah, it's all over and all redundant. But um, also, um, Keith, in regards to Chidozi Ogbene, who was mentioned earlier in terms of the the players who can play out wide that are available for Ireland. So he gets his uh, first Premier League goal for for Luton against Nottingham Forest at the weekend as well. And it's a big marker point for him as well, sort of, especially when you consider where he's kind of come from in terms of starting out with, uh, you know, down down in Limerick and then with Cork City and then sort of working his way up through the leagues in England. Yeah, it's a really better overstart, isn't it? Going from, you know, quite a low level and then now playing in the Premier League with Luton and even when it, when he got that move, a lot of people were saying to me on the face, it looks like a great move for, for a Benny. And I thought it, it, it could turn out being a bad move if he doesn't play the football he needs to play. But he started the last three games from Scotty Source Premier League goal. Again, even when Luton are, are getting beat, I'm hearing murmurs that the Luton fans are quite happy with how he's playing and how he's going about his business. And he's got from strength to strength with us. I think in a, in, a, in a struggling Irish team, he's that one shine of light that he will do his defensive duty and he can pick the ball up deep in our half and he can go and get us deep into the opposition half. He has that running power. and You see it even against the French up against uh, Hernandez. It was just a physical battle that Hernandez didn't really want to get involved in. So, yeah, Benny's been really good. His goal was well taken. He actually slashes across it. And how many times have you heard a commentator said he hits it, but he hits it too well and it goes straight at the goalkeeper. He actually just hits it and it, it's across it and it just goes up into the top corner it's a brilliant turn on the finish it's all about just making contact when you're when you're swiveling like that so fair play to Ogbeni I've been to been to nearly every Irish game the last couple of years and he's the one shining light he's the one player that you think well at least Ogbeni's playing we might get might get me on the edge of my seat you know because at times it can be quite passive Irish Ireland keeping the ball the opposition team keeping the ball but when Ogbeni gets it he's, he's all action 
Yeah, and also one final point before we talk about the, the women's national team, there's also Trent Coney Doherty to watch out for as well. I think the Sky Camera has picked up, but now he's from Derry. Um, he's been in the Liverpool Academy now since last summer, but the Sky Camera has picked him up training with the uh, Liverpool first team this week. Quite highly rated, cap for the Ireland under-17s, scored a hat-trick for the Liverpool under-18s against Sunderland recently. So he's five goals in five games in the under-18 um, English uh, Premier League and plays as a winger. So in terms of wingers of the future and as one former winger in James McLean is kind of leaving the scene, there's another from that kind of neck of the woods as well, seemingly coming through, but obviously very young player. So Just uh, when Stephen Kenny is about to, about to leave. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think this I think this young lad's still a good few years away anyway, yeah. um, it seems. But in terms of the women's national team, of course, they're playing Albania home and away. Um, so these are the next set of Nations League games, Friday, 27th of October. So this Friday, 5.15pm, uh, the coverage starts on RT2 and the RT player. And then on Tuesday, they're away um, away at Al- in Albania. Um, so that's Tuesday 31st. Again, that game also live on RT2 and the RT player. And Connor, looking at it, in terms of the rankings, um, Hungary and Northern Ireland, who Ireland dispatched quite easily yeah. last month, are 42nd and 47th in the FIFA rankings. Then when you consider that Albania is 72nd, it does show there's going to be a huge gulf in class. And to be fair, you know, Eileen Gleeson's team would be favourites to win this even more convincingly than the, the games last month. Yeah, at the risk of sounding like older pundits, uh, I'm going to say I don't know much about them, Rath. But <laughs> I know I've seen from their results, they they drew it home with Hungary and they lost to Northern Ireland. So given how uh, how... Ireland made such light work of those two outfits. You'd imagine this this will be a routine six points. And yeah, I mean they're obviously going to top that group, and uh, they'll, pro- they'll progress to League A presumably for the next. Yeah, uh, they progress to League A, which will be similar which format be... to the Nations League for yeah. the for the next set of Euro qualifiers. Yeah, it'll be interesting year. to see. It'll be interesting to see how they survive up there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all it's all going very well. I and obviously their manager search is ongoing. I mean. Um, they seem to be going swimmingly under Eileen Gleeson, although I know she she's made clear she doesn't want it on a permanent basis. It's it's uh, it's all it's uh, it's all going well for the man. Katie McCabe scored another screamer at the weekend against Bristol City. Now I know Arsenal have made a sluggish start to that to the WSL season, but uh, you know it's early days, and yeah, they've um, they've an abundance of of riches at the minute. Yeah, and Katie McCabe could play further forward because uh, Megan Campbell, who had signed for Everton just before the uh, the end of the transfer window, she's uh, back in the squad now under Eileen Gleeson. And that's something that the Ireland interim manager talked about in the press conference when she named the team. Look, Megan, as we know, has been out injured. She's been training herself and she's now signed with Everton. So she's, she's training at a really high level. Um, she's still, of course, in a return to play process she's had some minutes but we feel like we can she can still bring something into into the camp or experience um, and we can start to introduce her to the principles we introduced players in the last camp too for moving forward for the December camp so it's beneficial to us and beneficial to her I think to have her to have her in with us at this point. We'll see when she comes in I mean I'm not telling you Megan's going to start and either game we're playing 90 minutes but we're happy to have her in um, within within the within camp can having some of her quality there who can play left back just like you get more up I know you played Katie further forward in the second half last night to play further forward yeah I mean look we know what Megan brings she's comfortable on the ball she's got a nice left foot and you might have noticed in the in the last two games we are trying to 
build um, add that to, to the to the game that we can you know play out a little bit more or definitely link from back, back through the through the third so yeah Megan Megan is comfortable on the ball she has a nice balance on the left so it, it's definitely another outlet for us to have Megan there Okay, you can play everywhere. <laughs> no, but like, do you know what our best position is? It, it depends what, what what way we're playing. So it's not you know to pigeonhole her into one. We know Katie has really good attributes in forward roles, and then she plays you know at the highest level in defensive roles as well. So we have a lot of flexibility around and with Katie. So yeah. Right, and that is Eileen Gleeson there. Now, also, um, Sinead Farley has been recalled to the squad now. She missed it partially due to injury uh, for the September window, but she returns now. But a player that was left out who was in the World Cup squad is Marissa Shiva, and the interim manager also touched on the decision-making there. So, you know, this is all, it's all football and decisions, and unfortunately for Marissa, she's, up, she's in a position that there's a lot of competition for with Katie, Heather, Abby, Izzy, and... At the moment, Marissa is not getting game time at a club, so it's it's difficult for us to assess her performance as well without, without being able to see her as well. And the girls that are in are, are, are playing. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate for Marissa, but I have spoken with her and she's on standby list, ready to go if she's needed. All right, and that is Eileen Gleeson there. And, of course, uh, just a reminder, it's Friday, um, quarter past five. The coverage starts the the, the, the match against Albania. Now, in terms just, of the women... Just, yeah. just uh, on that, Raph, I mean, one one thing I noticed about the, the women's debate is that there's... And it could have been rumbling on if things had turned out differently. There's there's no mention whatsoever of Vera Powell's name at the minute. I mean, and we saw when Diane Cal Caldwell's famous comments uh, prior to the Northern Ireland match... And, you know, people were saying she was offering a big hostage to fortune, sort of laying into the manager. And there were people waiting with sort of um, people waiting to fire barbs if the result had turned out differently. And of course, the way it's gone, there's been no comeback on that now because, you know, the team have obviously flourished. It does remind me slightly of uh, Jonathan Wilson's old theory about Leicester, about how you get rid of a disciplinarian manager and you bring in a more relaxed regime. This is when you really flourish. I believe that, that was his explanation for Leicester winning the league. So maybe that's what's happening with the Ireland women's team. Yeah, quite could quite be possible. Actually, in, in terms of that, Keith, actually, just with the, the, the I suppose, the quality of teams they're facing at the moment, um, you know, as I said, um, the, the Northern Ireland and Hungary 42nd and 47th in the world and then they're you know they're facing Albania who are 72nd that maybe there'd still be a case of holding judgment until you know the, they will definitely at this rate be playing the, the higher class of opposition next year in the Euro qualifiers and probably that will be easier to judge in, compar in comparing it to say how they did in the World Cup Yeah you, you took the words right out of my mouth Raph I think it, it, it's way too early to, to start well, you know, we all want to see how this Irish team is going to do after Vera Pell. They've openly said they want Katie McCabe to play with the, you know, with the, with the shackles off. They want to play a little bit more of attacking football. They want to play out from the back. Even Eileen Gleeson has said it there. They want to play out from the back a little bit more. But the the caliber of opposition they've come up against so far it hasn't been up to scratch. You know, so it, it's too. It's like us being. It's like the men's team beating Gibraltar. It, it, it's not good enough. You can't put them up against that. So look at Vera Pell's left a very very high. They, she got us to a first ever World Cup. I personally thought we were very competitive. I know we we didn't win a game over there, but I thought we were very very competitive. And she left the bar very very high. So now when we get to the Europeans or we get to a World Cup 
and I'm not talking about qualifying. I'm talking about being in the group stages of this, the the latter stages. Then then we can start thinking, right? Is has this team evolved? Because at the minute, Raft are just beating Cadden Fodder, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but some of the teams are, are really really poor, and the girls are just just going out there and beating them easily and playing Albania now in two games, and you would expect six points fairly easily as well. So yeah, I think that. We have to hold off on judgment now till they come up against teams in and around them, even teams slightly better than them because the three teams they played in the World Cup on paper were better than them and they played this system to try and negate what the opposition had. So we'll see what, what it's like if they go and play toe-to-toe with uh, these so-called bigger nations, how they come out. Yeah, but at least at the very least, anyway, it's going to be a confidence builder for the Nations League, get a few goals and then um, take on what comes next uh, early next year in the Euro qualifiers. But uh, in terms of the Women's Premier Division, Galway United uh, won 3-0 away at Treaty. Uh, Wexford and Shamrock Rovers drew one all, And then at Lone Town were 3-1 winners at uh, Cork City. And then earlier in the week, uh, last Wednesday, Shelburne beats Sligo Rovers 2-1. What does the table? P-Mount already confirmed as champions. Shelburne are second at the moment, two points clear of Shamrock Rovers, who would have gone second had they won their game, and then Galway United in fourth place. And then in the men's Premier Division, we are going to have St. Pat's against Shamrock Rovers live in RT2 and the RT player this Friday. So straight after the uh, women's international, the the first uh, Albania match that Ireland are playing. And uh, the results in the Premier Division last uh, or across the weekend, because of course the weather uh, played its part in terms of certain matches getting moved and rescheduled. But Pats were 2-0 winners away at Bohemians on Friday. Derry City and Shelburne drew nil all with uh, Sadu Giallo getting uh, sent off in the first half. And then Dundalk uh, won 2-0 away at Sligo Rovers. Sunday then a rescheduled match. Cork City winning 2-0 at UCD. And then Shamrock Rovers taking a big step towards retaining their title and going for the four in a row with a 5-0 win at home to Drada United. And then, of course, last night... Uh, Pats uh, beat Sligo Rovers 1-0 with Keane Levy scoring and Pats now qualify for Europe but uh, Keith first just in regards to Shamrock Rovers you know uh, Sunday I guess it's as emphatic as it can get and very much helped by the fact that Trevor Clark scores an early goal and takes away all that tension Yeah that's uh, that's exactly what would have been getting said in the in the, dr- the dressing room if we can keep it tight get to the fourth checkpoint the 20 minutes half time so on and so forth but an early goal for Rovers Exactly what they would have wanted, just to just to settle it down and take the nerves away. And I I, I think Rovers will come out now. I, I I think we all can concede that you know the wheels would have to fall off for them not to not to win the league now. And if they've only lost four games a season, and I I've, I've openly been criticised them on here. I don't think the standards that they've over the last couple of years. I don't think they've got anywhere near it. I think they're the way they've played hasn't been as fluid as as we've seen, but it done and they're getting it done in probably fourth or fifth gear off which is which is worrying for the rest of the league and look at it they're, they're playing uh, they, they play St. Pat's now coming up pretty soon and I think they will be full of motivation I know uh, Pat's obviously have the cup to look forward to but I think Shamrock Rovers first playing second I think Steve and Bradley will be saying let's go and show the rest of the league that there's still a bit of a gulf here let's go and show everybody how good we are and that we have been off it but we're still an awful lot better than everybody else and they'll want the just really show everybody and give a decent account of themselves uh, this weekend. And look, I just think they have so much ability in that dressing room. And there's, there's, it's really telling because there's certain points at the at the back end of last season when Derry were starting to make up the ground on Shamrock Rovers. Stephen Bradley was asked a couple of questions and there was no panic. He was, yeah, this is no problem. We're going through a bad patch, but we'll get it right. We've too much talent. 
And he said all the right things. And it's just a manager who's completely comfortable with the talent he has, with the characters he has. And you can see now that there was absolutely no need for him to uh, for him to panic. And there's been there's been a lot of lot of players like the, the likes of Graham Borg played well this season. If you look at stats, the goals he scored, really, really good. Some 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 of his discipline has let him down once or twice. Jack Bourne has been injured quite a lot. Farouge has been injured. So they have an awful lot of excuses there. But for me, they haven't reached the heights that we that we expect from our, our, our Irish champions. And of course, the European stuff leaves it leaves a bit of a taste in the mouth as well. But by far, by far and away the best the best team of the league for me. And I, I look, I don't want to write off this season already. I know it, it's it's still going, but I think St. Pat's now when they play Rovers uh, this weekend, they'll be thinking. Let's just get a little judge of where we are for next season because, as I say, Pats have the FAI Cup final to look forward to. Mathematically, they could still win the league, so they'll take every game as it comes. But I think they'll be weighing up Shamrock Rovers for next season. Yeah, and let's listen to the past manager, John Daly. So he's speaking after the, the win over Sligo Rovers, kind of looking ahead a little bit to the Shamrock Rovers game. Friday night's game, obviously two big games to come out in the league. Tell us about Friday, what are these, what's your thoughts against Jamak Rovers? Yeah, well we obviously knew tonight we needed to win to try and keep the faint uh, hope alive and just keep it, keep it just one more, take it one more game and, and try and keep ourselves um, kind of there, thereabouts. We obviously need to beat them on Friday if we are to go and um, you know take it to the last game. Um, goal difference is obviously a big, big swing needed, which is unlikely. Um, so we obviously need to beat them and then probably hope Cork beat them and Sligo then do a similar job and Rovers don't score to give ourselves the best chance. So, yeah. As you say, um, it's a big ass though, but the first yeah. thing to do is try and try and get a victory against them on Friday. Yeah, well, the stars need to align and yeah. you know for us to do anything. So, But no, we'll, we'll set up on... We'll, uh, we'll obviously work hard now during the week, recover and we get ready to go on Friday and, and try and try and uh, get three points I went to the game the other night I thought they were very very good and they um, they were very very good very clinical so um, so yeah they're, they're the best team in the country for a reason and we obviously need to need to do what we can to, to try and get three points It's a final question uh, you came in took over and now you're second league you're in the cup final Europe is qualified you're still mathematically entitled for the uh, chase for the league how, how have you turned things around so quickly? Um, I think the play- the players have been excellent. They've um, they've obviously just bought into what we're trying to do, and I think results help when you get a couple of wins. It gives them confidence. Uh, there's no easy games in the league. I think it's taking it one game at a time. And I know it's boring to say, and um, you know, but genuinely is just taking taking one game at a time, and you know, just trying to trying to set up for each game. And you know, as I said, the players have, have really. Execute the game plans very, very well and put points on the board. So that's that's it, really. All right, thanks, John. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right, so that's John Daly there speaking to John. By, Ke- yeah. by the way, that's a highly edited version of that interview, Raf. Yeah, know. I know, I know, the I know. Raw, the raw footage. The PA announcer kept on playing some jingle music into the early part, and Daly was getting increasingly irate. I mean, I was hoping you'd play the full. I thought we were going to have the first ever episode of a League of Ireland manager attacking his own PA announcer in the ground. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, no, I. Well, he I might have sounded more tightly coiled than he I should decided, have. I moment. decided to condense it uh, out of respect for both the two Johns there, and <laughs> also just yeah. uh, in terms of in terms of timekeeping. But yeah, I did hear the uh, the full version. I had a, a little bit of a chuckle this morning listening to it. But uh, in terms of Pats and Rovers, I mean, um, Pats have Cork City and uh, Sligo Rovers left, or sorry, Rovers have uh, Cork City and Sligo Rovers left, and. Um, large goal difference uh, advantage over Pats and Pats's last game after they uh, they take on Rovers is going to be uh, Derry City away so how do you think this game is going to play out Keith in terms of the tactics and the approach because um, in a way Pats don't have a huge amount of pressure the main job in terms of getting into Europe is done they have a cup final to look forward to and then Shamrock Rovers as well maybe the tension and pressure they know they still need uh, maybe another couple of points to get over the line, but they're not under the same. They're not, they don't have to chase it either. Yeah, both teams to a to a certain degree will be playing with the with the with the shackles off, not too much pressure. And it, it, it's something I spoke about last night with a couple of couple of boys were having a chat yesterday in in Chicago, and they they were saying, oh, if we'd have played a little bit better, we could have pushed overs, we could have won the league. And I was thinking. You know, you, you can't let that sort of stuff creep in from a Pat's point of view because the remit for the start of the season was to go and get European football. They've secured that now with two games to go, which is really, really good from them. Uh, they're in the FAI Cup final, which is a huge, huge bonus. So it's been a successful season. Obviously, it's nowhere near over. You want to get some silverware and they could still finish fourth in the league. I know it's a huge stretch of the imagination, but mathematically, it's still possible. So to be still fighting on the league front, to be in the FAI Cup final, I think they far outweighed the expectations that, you know, even even the biggest Pats fan might have had because this Rovers team are so, so good. So looking forward to the game at the weekend, I imagine that Pats will play with an open, expansive style of football as they usually do because, like I say, I wouldn't be saying it's a free hit, Raph, because you'll be looking at next season and Pats will be thinking, they got Pats lost 10 games of football this season. That's too many. If you want to win the league, that's too many games of football to lose. So the first thing Pats need to do an awful lot harder to beat. I mean, I think Shelbourne have only lost six games of football this season, which is, it's it's mental when you think Shelbourne are fifth in the league, challenging for European honours. Pats have lost 10 games of football and their second challenging to win the league. It's ridiculous. So, the first thing they need to do is, you know, start drawing games that they should lose. And people always say this about champions, about Shamrock Rovers, I've said it a million times, they drew that game they should have lost or they won that game they should have drew. Champions do that. They just get over the when they shouldn't and Pats this season they've been really good by and large they've been excellent Chris Forrester scoring goals left right and centre young Keane Levy last night really really impressed with him his goal was brilliant it's goal of the season contender I think there's maybe a little bit of a deflection on the strike which may take a bit of a sheen off him, but he played brilliant all night brilliant link from, from back to can run with the ball and still only 21 years of age so so many of the Pats players that are getting so many plaudits this season are young and up and could be it could be a patch for the next couple of years. So it looks really good from a from a patch point of view. So yeah, I, I think we'll get a great game of football. I think, as I said, I think Rovers will go to will play the game and think let's go and show Pats that there is a goal here. So they'll have a bit of a bit of a bite between their teeth, and Pats will be weighing weighing Rovers up for next season and thinking, right, let's see if we can actually mount the title chase next season. And of course, John Daly said there, footballers can get flustered very very easily if they start thinking about too many things. Just take a game by game. Go on with the next game. Secure second spot in the league and go and win the FEI Cup. They can't do all that on Friday. They can only win the next game. So go and be Shamrock Rovers and put a marker down for next season. And look, the, the worst thing anybody would ever want as a player is 
to go and to go and mess up or draw against Shamrock Rovers and not play well and lose, and then you know the season's over. It just fizzles out. So just keep it going. Just keep it going as long as you can. It's yeah. a, it's it's a pity we were close to having a, a title, a possible title decider this weekend. I mean, if if Derry had kind of hung on to win that game against Rovers in the in the Brandywell, or if Pats hadn't surrendered a lead in Talca Park that time, I mean, we we could have been there. But as it is, it feels like it's too far gone now. I mean, it's very even if Pats win, which I'm not sure. I don't know in form would they, um, you know. Sligo and Cork don't look like they're going to stop Shamrock Rovers winning one. No. I think they would only need to win one of the last two games. Yeah, least. pretty pretty much because yeah. uh, uh, they have a game in hand on Pats, which helps. And, and also difference. Goal, goal difference is pretty uh, sizable as well. So um, the other thing, um, Keith, as well, there's the obviously Pats uh, bet Bowes on Friday, but Bowes had a double blow as well on top of it. And it's Keith Buckley who's going to be out of the FAI Cup final and has a sort of long-term knee injury now. And that's... Uh, that's in terms of the run in for them, in terms of trying to make sure they stay at least in the top four. And then um, for the actual uh, decider on the 12th of November as well, like that's a, it's a tough blow for them. Yeah, it is. I'm devastated for Keith. I, I, I know Keith, I've played against him in the league. And, you know, so many, every time you speak to Bowes fans, it's Keith Buckley, Keith Buckley, this Keith Buckley, that they, they absolutely adore him. And, I done I done the commentary for uh, for Galway and Bowes down in Galway in the semi final and Keith Buckley was brilliant and look he, he wasn't stringing passes together it wasn't an open expansive kind of kind of game it was nitty gritty get down win your battles and Keith Buckley was absolutely brilliant shepherding people around him talking to people and just doing what you need to do in semi final great understanding of the game and yeah he's a he's a real character as well I remember playing for Pats one day I, I'm sure it was against Bowes and he actually cycled up the inch card and he. he remember seeing him coming down throwing his bike on his back and just jogging down the steps and I thought my god the centre midfielder I'm playing against has cycled to cycled to the game today <laughs> he must be pretty fit so yeah look I'm devastated for him I hope I hope it, it's not the end of him I know he's a, he's a decent age now as well so I hope he can come back and hopefully now I'm sure Declan Devine will be using that as a bit of fuel on the fire and say look our captain's gone Keith Buckley he, he's got us here and go and win the game for him lads and it's it's just disappointing because Bowes have so much to play for. They're still haven't uh, qualified for Europe just yet. Although, you know, it, it they could easily be Kosh uh, Shelbourne are doing really well, and obviously the FAO Cup final as well. So it's it's going to be a big big miss. But hopefully Declan Devine can manipulate the situation and as I say, throw a bit of throw a bit of fuel on the fire. Yeah, and Connor, I, you know, from watching the David Beckham documentary, I don't remember him like lugging his bike around the place. I think his uh, <laughs> he was driving quite a nice motor in that. Uh, uh, maybe in the early days. I mean, maybe Ferguson. Ferguson should have taken it off him and put him on a bike. I'd say he sounded like he uh, he wanted to do that at a certain point. It would have kept the lad's foot feet on the ground. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but in terms of Cork City, then uh, Keith, I mean, the bet UCD, there's within six points now of uh, Sligo Rovers, who we'll talk about. And obviously, there's the goal difference advantages uh, towards Sligo, but Cork uh, do have a game in hand on them as well. But it it still feels like they maybe have left it a little bit too late. Yeah, I t- I do think they've left it too too late, Raph. They're six points behind Sligo. They do have a game in hand, but. Like the, the one shining light for, for Cork this season is Rory Keaton. Every time you every time you look at Cork, you're thinking how Rory Keaton did. And largely he's you know, I, I've seen him live a couple of times this season. He's he's very, very impressive. Big boy, quite agile for the big boy as well. Can can give you the 
Bill Battle can run in behind, can do a little bit of everything as a striker, but he does the one thing that if you're if you're a team that's down around the bottom, you need a goal scorer, and Rory Keaton is that goal scorer. He, he's just about keeping Cork's head above water. And I, I remember this time last season, you know, a couple of months uh, to go in the season, people were asking me, who do I think? And I backed UCD to stay in the league. And the only reason I backed UCD was Tom Lonergan. I thought he has the goals. He is, he is enough firepower to keep UCD in the league. And the reason I think Cork will stay in the league is because of Rory Keaton. Now, the playoffs, that's a different kettle of fish, you know, depending on who they get. But look, I, I think that's it's probably all you could expect, Rafa. Again, you know, there's a lot of noise, but there's always a reality to the noise. And Cork are a big, big club. I, I, I'm not disputing that, but this is their fourth season back in the Premier League. It was always going to be difficult. They've they've beaten UCD. Could they go and get somebody else? It's not totally out of the question that they'll get Sligo. I personally don't think they will go and catch Sligo. But, you know, they're there to where they should be. And it's the season is just going to roll into that big, big playoff, uh, playoff final. So they just need to get themselves ready for that. And like I say, with... Rory Keaton up front. There's every chance that they could go and beat a Waterford in the in the final if it is them. Yeah, no, and as we said, Sligo are not mathematically safe, but there is a sense that they they are. Um, but the mood ain't isn't great now. That's two defeats uh, on the trot between it's Friday incredible and Monday. Incredible that Sligo are. I mean, given that they started quite promisingly this year, I mean, they yeah. really plummeted dramatically. I mean, you'd never have thought they'd have been sucked into this into this sort of battle. Now it looks like they're going to they're going to be okay. And, uh, just about know. and only thanks to last month's results really the couple of they're wins not going to upset the likely monster derby for the for the promotion uh, relegation playoff probably yeah unlikely well, I, was not, I was only looking there Raph when you when you think of Sligo they, they lost Max Matter halfway through the season and I think he's yeah. still the fifth highest goal scorer in the league and you're thinking my god like I, I'm talking about Cork and Rory Keaton Max Matter was arguably just as important to Sligo as, as, as Rory Keaton was so for him to walk out the door you can imagine being a centre midfielder or you know anybody else in that dressing room just just being so deflated, thinking the one shining light, the boy who's scoring the goals is going out the door. And look, obviously it's a stepping stone for Max Matter. We want him to do well, but if you're left behind in that Sligo dressing room, it just doesn't feel great, does it? Yeah, and because what have you made of Pedro Martello up front? I mean, he's uh, and like with all due respect to him, I don't think he hasn't really kicked on in terms of filling that void either. No, well, I, I seen him last night, Raf, and uh, I wasn't very impressed. I, I have to be honest. Uh, there was there was once or twice he threw himself on the ground. He was looking for penalties, and he's going to have to knock that out pretty quickly because the Irish league is a physical league. It's it's getting better. It's developing all the time. Technically, there's some beautiful footballers in the league, but there's nitty gritty in the league as well. When the ball gets fired up, you only have to look at probably the best striker in the league, and Rory Gaffney. He loves the physical battle. He will get him. With you. And that's what you need to do as a striker. If you're going to play up there by yourself, which Sligo were playing a long striker last night, you're going to have to hold the ball up. You're going to have to get your arms out. You stop people come getting the ball. You're going to have to win free kicks. You can't just throw yourself on the ground and hope you get a free kick. And look, it's it's a it's a learning curve for him. He's going to get better. He he's a big, strong. He does look like he can be physical, but yeah, it's look. He, he's going to have to get better, and he's going to have to hit the ground running for from a Sligo point of view. Yeah, and from Alan Cawley kind of summing up the situation at Sligo, uh, uh, part of the tweet, anyway, this was after the, uh, during the Dundalk game, uh, he would have tweeted out, people of Sligo deserve so much more than this, and then dreadful. 
um, which kind of sums up uh, sums up how he feels about it. But uh, in regards to Dundalk, then Keith and they're back in the European race, and although they will obviously need um, Pats to to win the cup if, if fourth place is to become that, but they have Bowes next uh, at home, and just looking at it between Bowes, Shells, Dundalk for that uh, for that fourth place, if if uh, if Pats uh, if Pats win the cup, that's uh, it's still it's still very much in play. Yeah, it's a great race, isn't it? Like I know I'm probably being, you know, everybody's looking at the league and saying it's there or thereabouts over. But the race for uh, the race for Europe is is really hot and open, as you say. Uh, Bow Shell and Dundalk, nobody's really given up. And look, I, I don't want to. I'd love to see Shelburne do it, just because you know it, so many people talk about how they play and it not being very nice on the eye. If you're a coach or a manager or, or even a Sunday League player, an amateur player, you can have a look at the recovery runs, have a look at the shape of Shelbourne. And look, I get it, there's, everybody wants to see the nice, pretty play, but there's there's two sides to the game. There's two ways to win a game of football and Shelbourne make it so difficult. No wakes up on a Friday morning and thinks, lovely, I'm playing in Tolka today. Nobody thinks that no players relish playing against Shelbourne. And Shelbourne, I, I remember saying this to Damien Duff after, after uh, Pat's played him and I said, nobody will welcome coming here. And he said, that's music to my ears. That's what, every manager wants to hear about their team is nobody wants to play against them because they're tough. They run all day long and people get bogged down thinking oh, all they do is fire balls into the box. If you stand off Shelbourne, they will play a bit of football. So I'm hearing they're going to be financially back next season. But look, Dundalk, I think, have just come off the boil at, at the wrong times. And we could say that about so many teams in the league. When Shamrock Rovers have come off it, it seems like that's aligned with Pat, Derry, Dundalk. Everybody's come off the boil at the same time. So the race would be brilliant. I personally think it will probably stay as it is. I think Bowes will get there, Derry and Pats. But I, like I said, I wouldn't begrudge Shelbourne getting in there. Yeah, and they have UCD next, it, and they'll be fairly confident. Yeah, go on. Gel really scrapped for every point, though. I mean, it's very striking when you see them. I mean, I, I saw them, they came from behind a couple of times, games I was at against Sligo early in this, back when Sligo were still uh, in rude health, and then they did the same to Pats in it. Fairly vital game when Pats were coming off a bit of a winning streak and mounting a title charge, and they they turned around and they they do seem to have the they seem to their manager's personality seems to be writ large in the team. You know, you can kind of you can nearly see it the way they play, and they obviously have the backing now from the the whole city owners, um, the Turkish consortium there. So um, they'll uh, looks like they're back full time, but back to the way it was in the early noughties, perhaps. Yeah, we'll see how they how they get on. But if if uh, if that if a European place was to materialise, obviously a huge, uh, big financial bump for them there as well. But first division uh, season came to an end in terms of the 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 final round of the the league portion of it uh, on Friday, and uh, Cove Ramblers and Kerry drew one all. So a nice way for uh, Kerry to to end the season there. Cove, of course, already in the playoffs, which we'll talk about uh, very shortly. Galway United. Brilliant season for them. Capped it off with a 2-0 win over Wexford, who are also in the playoffs. Uh, Waterford uh, beat Treaty 2-0, which pretty much ended uh, Treaty's hopes of getting into the, the top five. And Waterford, at least, a bit of momentum going into the uh, the playoff semi-final against Athlone, who themselves drew nil all uh, with Longford Town and uh, to, well, to at least secure fifth place. And then Bray Wanderers and Finn Harps drew one all and... Uh, I'm gonna have one word on you on uh, Longford, uh, Connor. How does the how's the season summed up for them? You're not asking me to confine it to one word. I no, have, no, not not not. I have 15 not pages words. written out here. No, <laughs> it's been a very uh, 
Yeah, it's a bit of a flat season. Uh, they're used to making the playoffs, which are very difficult not to make. So obviously they've, they've regressed um, this year. Perhaps multiple factors behind that, probably. They have at least, uh, they, they can at least say that they turned over Galway United uh, twice, the only team to beat them this season. So Galway only lost two games, both in the same, both in... Uh, Strokestown Road. Um, yeah, they started poorly and never never recovered, really. Um, and look, it's it's the playoffs we have to focus on now. Um, the, you could say they've swapped places with Cove Ramblers, who who spent most of the previous five years sort of swimming around the bottom of the league and have really come on fantastically this year with, uh, with Shane Keegan in charge. Yeah, and uh, Keith, before we talk about the, the teams that are actually in the playoffs, so in regards to Bray Wanderers, then um, Treaty United, and uh, Finn Harps, slightly different nights. I suppose Treaty and Bray will probably look at it and think maybe they left their runs uh, too late, um, especially with that loan and a little bit of free fall towards the end of the, the season. And then I guess Finn Harps just never got going. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the worst feeling in the world as a player when you think something is gone and you uh, we can't really catch that loan and then all of a sudden that loan hit a bad patch and you can't quite get yourself out of that little rut to go and catch them. Yeah, Treaty will be really kicking themselves because it did look like it was there for them to go and get it. But yeah, look, I I, I think it's crazy that obviously Waterford are, are going to play at loan. I think it was a 22 points difference between them and the league. It's mental, isn't it? But look, I, 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 I to be honest with you, I think Cove have done really, really well to get themselves in there. But I can't see past Waterford Ronan mm. with his 33 goals, the way they're playing. And I've, I've had a little bit of a, a look behind the court and down at Waterford as well. I, I, I went down there a couple of years ago to to play a, a couple of games and get get fit and they're a Premier League club the, the the gym the facilities they have down there the pitches the people in the background they are a Premier League club some of the little players they have are, are excellent as well so look I, I just think it's a shame that we'll probably get Waterford into the Premier League and probably more than likely lose Cork so it's just a, it's just a bit of a shame I'd like to spread it out and see some bigger counties get some big clubs in, into the into the league but yeah, it is what it is, and look, I, I think I can't, I can't see past Waterford. Raf, I've seen them a couple of times, and I just think they're too strong up front, and they can just blow teams away. But I remember saying this last season when they got UCD in the playoff final. I thought there's only one winner, and then UCD turned up and beat them. Yeah, so they're away for the first leg anyway of the, uh, the playoff, first division playoff semi final again uh, at Atlone, uh, quarter to eight tonight. And at the same time, uh, Wexford taking on Cove. And uh, this is probably one Keith about two managers who've done really good jobs there. So Shane Keegan, um, as Connor Neville just said, said there in regards to Cove, you know, they've been swimming in the wrong end of the, the first division for a long time. Shane Keegan comes in towards the end of last season and they've not looked back and then James Keddy um getting the the Wexford job ahead of this season as well and built it, building on the good work Ian Ryan had done previously both have uh, both clubs have gone from sort of being sort of in no man's land now and into maybe looking upwards but out of the two which ones uh, which one do you think is lo- most likely to be playing Waterford uh when it comes to the playoff or the first division playoff final itself Personally, I would go for Cove, but you know, I, I wouldn't be sticking my mortgage on it right now. I, I wouldn't be that, uh, I wouldn't be that leaning towards it. But I, I, I just think Cove has done really well. I, I know Shane, uh, Shane Keegan personally. I, I bump into him every now and then, and he's he's a very sensible man. The way he talks about football, it's very easy to understand, and the the message that he's relaying is clearly getting across to the to the Cove players. You look at the likes of Jack Doherty, eighteen goals already this season. And again, we we talk about teams wanting to do well, to stay in the league, to get promotion. 
you need somebody to poke the head above the crowd and just start scoring goals for you. It can be a midfielder, a striker, whoever it is. Cove just seemed to have that. But look, I, I really enjoyed Wexford as well. I think Wexford have had a good season. I just think Cove have the, the bit between their teeth and will do enough to get there. But as I said, I, I, I can't see past Waterford ref. Yeah, and then we have a live Champions League coverage tonight as well. So Manchester United taking on Copenhagen. So that's live on RT2 and the RT player kick off at 8 o'clock. And uh, Keith, what have you made of Hoyland and how he's fitted in? Because this is a kind of momentous day for him. He's going back to Denmark, going back to his boyhood club in um, Copenhagen. And I guess the last round of Champions League games did really well against Galatasaray. Unfortunately, got overshadowed by a pretty horrendous <laughs> display at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, um, it, it, it's one of them. I think it's exactly what you say, Raph. If United were a firing team and playing well and Hoyland comes in and plays as he's playing, people would be absolutely raving about him. The fact that United are struggling a little bit, he's doing well. I'm enjoying him every time he plays. When, when United released their team, the first place I look is to see if Hoyland is playing because I do like watching him play. I think he's he's a decent all-round striker. You know, he, he will score goals. I, lo- I love the, the goal he scored, the... Was it against Nottingham Forest when Rashford just whips it across and and, and heads it? He he put he would put his head in front of a train. You see, every time there's a ball fist across the box, he is throwing himself at it. He's not thinking, will I, won't I? He just throws himself at it like like they start to tell goalkeepers to do. If the ball's going that way, just throw yourself at it to make sure you can't get there. He go he goes to meet it with everything he has. Big physical player, decent, strong boy. Yeah, I I would be happy with him. I think he is a shining light for Manchester United, but. The rest of the dressing room, Raf, is where where the problems are. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at who I think will start for United tonight. You would think Varane and maybe Harry Maguire, maybe even uh, Johnny Evans, he eligible for the Champions League. But the centre are, are a big, big problem. Amrabat as well coming in looks like a decent player. But you, there's just the principles, the basics of the game. United aren't aren't, aren't they're not running as hard as the opposition. They're being outworked. They're being outfought. And if you're going to go to every game and concede. Right, they will walk harder. They will run more. They will have more physical battle. They will outfight us. You're putting just such a big, big uh, gap to try and make up there. And United are a talented bunch, but at the minute, they're just not working hard enough. Yeah, and Connor, there was um, a piece I was reading in the Guardian. I was newsletter Jonathan Wilson, who you mentioned earlier. Um, he was replying to a supporter who was asking about the, you know, when was the last time uh, a midfield signing for Man United really worked out? And and now they were talking more about players who are in their you know early twenties, emerging players, not lads who are in their thirties, like the you know Ericsson and Casemiro who've done okay since they've gone there. But um, I think mm-hmm. he came back with the answer that it was uh, in fact all the way back to Michael Carrick, which is <laughs> a very long time ago mm-hmm. now, but. Uh, in regard to one of the players that has stepped up, though, suddenly Scott McTominay, though, has uh, you know he's been unshackled from Fred, who got carted away across the summer or during the summer, and you know even for Scotland, though, he's been he's been on fire. He's been on fire. Yeah, fantastic performance against Spain, and he, he rescued Man United against uh, Brentford, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's a bit very early to say they've they've turned it around on the basis of two one wins over. Brentford and Sheffield United now, but uh, yeah, uh, if he could bring a Scottish form to Old Trafford, that'd be a, that'd, that'd be a boom boom for them. I think they're um, the malaise is just remarkable. I mean, they, they'll be studying it for for a long time. This sort of road Man United have constantly have been permanently stuck in really for about ten years. There have been no occasional uptick since they had a reasonable season in 
I think 21, they finished second and they've, you know, did all right last year after a horrific start when it looked like they were in meltdown mode. Um, but they've, they've retreated again early on this season. Um, the Galatasaray game, um, you know, all the positives from Highland just kind of spoiled at the other end. There's, there seems to be a terrible burden or weight on players who transfer there. You know, I just they seem to get sucked into the the malaise of the club. It's they they haven't they they haven't fully recovered from their past. Is almost the sense of and you know the players appear burdened. There's a terrible atmosphere around there, and they you know, um, I thought Ten Hag. I mean, I thought he had kind of got a grip of it at some point last season and they, they appeared to have got motoring in the right direction um particularly with Rashford playing so well but I mean his form has been very uneven over the years so and he's he's in one of his down phases at the minute so I don't know I mean obviously they're they, they've lost two from two they urgently need they basically need to win their next four games would you say maybe maybe three wins will do them but um yeah it's a uh, it's a sorted sorting the, the 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 collective psychology out there will be a will be a big job still and they haven't they don't appear any closer to it this year than any any previous years yeah and then there's harry Maguire, keith as well i suppose as a, a final point on man united i mean his uh his form hasn't been good i think that has to be said over the last uh, few years but in terms of what he's had to deal with i mean psychologically where you've like fans turning on you know i know it's not so much the manchester united ones that seems to be more of an england thing where they seem to be booing certain some of their own some of their own players but have you ever been sort of in a in a club situation where you've seen one of your teammates uh, where they're you know they're being barracked by their own fans uh, to an extent over a, a period of time and how that's kind of dealt with internally um, no, I, I I've never had a, a set of set of my own fans, my own team I'm playing for, be or be, be one of one of their own players. I think it's it's so counterproductive. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? But just to go back to it, Rafa, like I'm a fan of Eric Ten Hag. I think he's done really well since he came into Manchester United. The way he handled the Ronaldo thing, I thought it was the only way to handle it. Handle it really, really well. But when you look at McTominay and you look at Maguire and Sancho. These boys can't be happy in the dressing room. And Maguire was heading out the door not not so long ago. Oh, sorry, yeah, Maguire was heading out the door. He wanted a million payoff, so he never left for West Ham. McTominay was told he could leave as well. And for whatever reason, that didn't materialise. Now he's been told, oh, you've played well, and so you're going to go and play in an advanced role for us. And as a player, look, that's great. You're back in the team. It's brilliant. But as a player, you must be thinking deep down, you didn't want me a couple of months ago. Why, why do you want me now? Played well for me. And I, look at I think Ten Hag has done a lot right, but telling a player he can leave and then even Harry Maguire, yeah, you can leave. We don't, you, your sort of requirements. And then all of a sudden he's needed because Martinez is injured or Varane is prone to being injured. It's You can't burn bridges like this in football. And look, Harry Maguire, for me, he made a couple of mistakes for Manchester United. He hasn't really made too many mistakes for, well, he has made a couple of mistakes for England as well, sorry. But some of the stick he's been getting has been way, way over the top. He's a, he's a top class in half played in World Cups, played in European Championships, done really, really well. The the system that Manchester United play doesn't sue Harry Maguire. If, say, a West Ham, who he was linked to, a low-block team, that balls will be coming into the box, there'll be no little knee players running in and around him. He can thrive under that sort of that sort of action, but at Manchester United at the minute, if you're going to get Harry Maguire to stand on the halfway line and try and defend from there, all you have to do is make it into a foot race and you're going to get in behind him. 
And look, I, I just don't understand. I think there's an awful lot wrong with Manchester United. There's, there's a big pool of talent within the club. There's no real shape on the midfield. Like Christian Eriksen hold the midfielder. His, his best position is in an advanced role. You're playing him, you're playing Amrabat left-back. Yeah, Dallow is going from left-back to right-back. Regulon's coming in. It's just a load of good players being told to go out there and perform. And for me, they need to become an awful lot harder to beat. They need to put a better shape on themselves. And the basics need to become an awful lot better. They need to be running through brick walls week in, week out. And you see what you know, when they play a big team, their level goes up. And then they play a Copenhagen tonight and it drops back down. You think, oh, we'll beat this. United aren't good enough. Very few teams are good enough to say we can do this and that and come up and come down. There needs to be a standard set and it needs to be brought every game. And United, for me, just have very, very little inconsistency. And I just think that dressing room, Raph, there's, there's so much going on in the dressing room. It's going to spill over to the pitch. The off-the-field issues with the ownership and everything else. I don't like saying that because as a player, it never affected me when when the club is being sold, the manager is being sacked. If that stuff doesn't affect players day to day. You turn up your train, you go home. It doesn't affect you, but it's just been lingering on and lingering on and lingering on. And I think now your players can't possibly use that as a bit of an excuse. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a, it's you get a succession of poor decisions over the years, and they can't untangle themselves from it, and you get stuck. And that is down to the ownership and the decision-making process. I mean, the Ronaldo signing, to go back to it, does typify that when it was done with, despite reservations of the manager and all the rest. And they had to, they had to walk that back, you know. I mean, that that typifies where the, why they are where they are, I think, you know. And it, it, you know what you need? Like, when you look at United's scouting system, as opposed to Brighton's, like, every nearly every 90% of the players Brighton have brought in in the five years have hit the ground running and have become Premier League stars United are, are shopping in, in, a, in a market now that they're not used to because United would generally just go and cherry pick the best players and say we want you, you and you and they would come to the club because Manchester United are Manchester United Manchester United are not that drawer anymore they're not taking the best players in the world they're shopping in a market that they're not used to they need to go and on air diamonds and bring people to the forefront and at the minute their signings have been way way off look like the likes of Amrabat brilliant Morocco is he somebody that's going to bridge the gap between Manchester United and Manchester City or Manchester United and Arsenal I don't think so he might fill a gap for now but on signings that are going to be there for two four five years and embed the, you know leave a bit of a legacy at the club these lads are just filling holes and you know there's an all an awful lot of problems with the club yeah and obviously United as a club are one that have all often produced some of their best talent obviously the the Fergie's fledglings as I kind of mentioned David Beckham there and the uh, the Netflix documentary there earlier um which of course was the 90s with the likes of Gary Neville Paul Scholes etc but I think it goes back to the Busby Babes in the 1950s and 60s and of course there was the sad news that uh, Bobby Charlton one of arguably their club the club's greatest player uh died died aged uh, 86 on Saturday but you know his uh, his achievements, Connor, have been kind of talked about um, over the last few days since since his passing. But uh, I think the the Irish connection, other than the fact, uh, of course, he's uh, younger uh, younger uh, brother to uh, our own uh, great former manager Jack Charlton. It's his uh, connection to Waterford United as well. So in 1976, when he's 39, um, he plays a small handful of games for them. Yeah, yeah, there was quite a craze in the 70s of uh, of form. You, I mean, washed up is a pejorative term, but you, you might say they were washed up former former greats uh, who wound up in the League of Ireland for a handful of games, usually at um, 
one of the Cork clubs, whatever the Cork club was called. Yeah, you know? funny, funny uh, enough, uh, I think you, you, uh, there was Bobby Tambling, the, the Chelsea uh, record yeah. goal scorer before Lampard. Like, I interviewed him a few years ago and he would have, uh, well, actually, thanks to his good friend, Paddy Mulligan, who I would have known quite well as well. But uh, yeah, and he's still living down in Cork. So there are some that came over and then actually stayed. But stayed. Bobby Tambling was one, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know Gordon Banks played a game for Pats um, and uh, George Best, obviously, in his... Uh, this sort of uh, his long-tailed uh, t- the long-tailed twilight of his career did play a couple of games for Cork Celtic I think, I think it was Cork Celtic or Cork Hibs I'm not sure one of them uh, but yeah Bobby played four games for Waterford he scored a goal um, and I believe he would get half the gate receipts which caused a lot of tension with the other with the other teams who were playing them who uh, maybe he got the full gate receipt but anyway there, there was there were issues teams were the teams Waterford were playing were protesting and uh I think there was a. It came to a head when there was a poorish crowd for around the third or fourth game, and Bowes got unhappy. But uh, yeah, he uh, yeah he played for, and then I think he subs. There's a few of them that subsequently went out to America. I know Rodney Marsh played a couple of games here, and it, there was a time where uh, the League of Ireland seemed to be a sort of a halfway house to the American League, which was an action there. So, so, yeah. so a former great would play a game out a game over here, and then head for the states. You know kind of it was kind of a stop off on their trip across the Atlantic yeah which reminds me of another Bobby as well that I interviewed years ago or a few years ago um, on that same podcast and it was uh, Bobby Smith who uh, an American player who's in the U.S. Hall uh, U.S. Uh, Soccer Hall of Fame who went on loan to Dundalk very randomly I think around 74 then when he goes back he signs for the New York Cosmos and ends up playing with Pele which is quite a quite a quite a shift going from Dundalk to like playing with uh, one of the all-time greats uh, in like one of the more glamorous cities in the world like but um, it is what it is I suppose but a final point um, Keith before we go so uh, at Arsenal obviously they're in Champions League action as well playing against Sevilla tonight but uh, the David Raya against Aaron Ramsdale debate and it's only going to be fueled further after Raya's performance against Chelsea. Yeah, Raya didn't. Uh, he didn't fill anybody with confidence, did he? And apparently, never made a, a very good, uh, a very good point. And he was saying that David Raya has been brought into the Arsenal team because he plays a little bit more football and he can pass the ball a little bit better. We didn't see Ramsdale make too many mistakes with his feet, and David Raya looks to have already made more mistakes than Ramsdale did with his feet. Now, that's no problem. Mikel Arteta has done really, really well with Arsenal. If he wants to make that decision, he's seen them both training uh, day in, day out. If he thinks Ray is a better goalkeeper, a better a better footballer, that's no problem. But if you're putting him in on his on his footballing ability rather than his goalkeeping abilities, then when he starts to mess up, then you've got to start thinking, right, you're going to bring Ramsdale back in. And we don't know, can he bring Ramsdale back in now? Because he sort of set his colours to the mask saying, Ray is my number one. I believe Ray is a better goalkeeper. So he's the number one. So... Now, do you think if he makes one more mistake, two more mistakes, does he just stick with him blindly? Or does he say, okay, well, he's not just ready yet. We'll go back to Ramsdale and bring Ramsdale back in. I, I, it just leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And look, as a winger, I used to get told, you're 45 minutes to whether if you play well, you'll stay on. If not, you whip the half time. And it was the fear factor that you had to play well in the 45 minutes to earn your right to go back out in the second half. Goalkeepers have been largely protected from that sort of stuff. You're the number one and that's it but I think it, every place is up for up for competition now and the game is evolving so I don't see why not I just think it can get a little bit sticky if David Ray does start to make a couple of mistakes then Arteta is going to have a, a big decision to make but just to go back to the 
the Bobby Charlton one, Raph, I, I, I never met Bobby Charlton, but I met his brother Jack. I was uh, I, it was either the under, under-15s FEI Player of the Year or the under-19s Player of the Year. I was there to get some award, and we were all sitting down. We were about to go live on RTE, and Jack Charlton walked in, and everybody in the room stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And I, I was only a, a little snob when I was a kid. I didn't really understand who he was, and, I thought, I'm going to have to do a bit of homework on this bloke. And I did homework on him. Obviously, leaked into his brother as well. And absolutely two outstanding blokes. And, you know, no no more fitting man to come in. Like an Englishman to walk in and get a standing ovation of a, a crowd full of Irish men and women. It was uh, it was something to behold. It gave me goosebumps and chills. And, yeah, he's he probably English. Bobby, now I'm talking about, was probably England's best ever goal scorer. A brilliant, brilliant player. And, you know, a legend and into the game is thrown around so, 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 so easily these days but he was everything that people said he was yeah when you consider it's remarkable to think there's only one there's only one member left from the 66 England team Jeff Jeff Hurst is, is I believe the last the last mm-hmm. still around yeah, yeah I was kind of just kind of going through their uh, their squad actually there as well in terms of even like where players weren't winning as many caps as they are now just because the way the substitution rules used to work like there's loads of that England 66 squad who never actually played in the tournament at all obviously because the way uh, yeah. squads worked at the time and also just to, to point out in terms of Bobby Charlton as well I mean holding England's uh, you know goals record for something he is, like he, yeah, he has partly Gary Lineker to thank for that for his for his yeah, yeah. ill-advised uh Penenka penalty in 1992, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But even to be as a midfielder to be uh, to be holding a record for yeah. as long as that, even notwithstanding Lineker's uh, decision making over the over uh, over a spot kick for whatever it is, fifty odd years at, at the time he was playing as well, is pretty remarkable. But anyway, that brings us to a close. So you can remember this Friday back to back games on RT two and RT players. So that's Ireland against Albania in the Women's Nations League from five uh, fifteen, and then followed by Pats and Shamrock Rovers from seven forty five. And of course tonight Manchester United versus Copenhagen. But Connor and Keith, thanks very much for your time. Cheers, Raf. Cheers. <laughs>